God is good. I was just thinking about that word, forever I'll stand. Standing with God for a long period of time is not easy, you know. Um, standing and keeping on and walking with him sometimes is very difficult. And But it's the best life we'll ever have, yeah? It's the best life we could ever live. And... Uh, and this actually, what I'm preaching about today, it, it, from 1 John, there's a beautiful letter because um, when John wrote this letter, uh, by all accounts, it was close to 100. And he was the last man standing of all the apostles that walked with Christ and were called out. He was the last one that was left. And uh, he kind of, he's writing this letter sort of, I imagine, like looking back over his life when he encountered Jesus, when he was called out, looking back and just thinking how faithful he'd been, how at first he didn't understand and he just walked and they, and he taught them and he lived and he did all these things. He birthed the early church with the other disciples and, and now he's looking back. And, and I think it's so important to, when we read the scriptures, uh, to, to think about not just the words that are written, but the context the context of, of when they were written, why they were written, who was the audience at the time. I think that really helps us to bring to life what's, what's in the text. Um, and so I'm going to be uh, over the next five weeks that I get to preach, and it's an honor to, to preach. And um, it might take me five months, I think, with the rostering, but no, that's good. Um, but I, I'll, be, I'll be going through the 1 John, this letter of 1 John. So this... Um, this incredible letter that um, actually a lot of theologians, when, and I've been in, in this study of 1 John for a little while now, and a lot of theologians actually say that this was written after Revelation. So even though Revelation is ordered in the Bible as the last book, a lot of, a lot of them say that this was actually written as the last book. And I don't think John knew it would be the last book because the Bible wasn't sort of canonized and put into scriptures till later. But it was actually most likely the last writings and so it gives a little bit of weight when, when you look in that context, when you think about this last surviving eyewitness to what Jesus did, writing kind of the, the very end of, the, of scriptures, it kind of gives a bit of weight because what he writes here is so beautiful. It's almost like a summary for us of, of how we should live. And obviously he was addressing the church at that time, but it's so relevant today. You know, the word of God is a living word, it says. You know, it's so relevant for us today. And when you read you just think, wow, he could have written this last week, and it's still so beautiful. He was actually, John was, was in fact, in Scripture, the, the only recorded disciple at, at Jesus' death as well, at the crucifixion. They all had left him. They all had, had you know, probably scattered and been, been afraid, but John was recorded as being there as well. So, so that's an interesting little side note. And the purpose of his letter was, was to bring us into proper relationship with God, to put Jesus at the center of everything. You know, he, he placed Jesus at the center of, of everything, and that's so important in everything we do. He is a center. So let me get into it. 1 John 1, and I'm reading from the NIV. We should have it up on screen. Uh, 1 John 1, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our with our eyes, which we have looked, which we have looked at, and our hands have touched, this we proclaim con- concerning the word of life. I love how it starts the letter. It starts by drawing parallels 
parallels to Genesis, where in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And his own, his own gospel that he'd written earlier, where in the beginning the word was God and the word was with God. It's such a beautiful opening sentence from the beginning. And, and he's not writing about the beginning of, of, of the earth. He's not writing about the beginning of creation or even the beginning of Jesus' ministry. He's writing about the beginning of all things. There was no beginning. He's taken us back to a time like of eternity past where, where he's introducing Jesus as the one who was there, right, has always been there. He's the eternal one. He's introducing Jesus as the eternal God, the ancient of days, the one that was there from the beginning, who didn't have a beginning, who doesn't have an end. He's declaring that Jesus existed above all else. So before everything else, God, Jesus existed and was the basis of all creation. And I love how he starts with that. Jesus is the embodiment of everything eternal. So really, we can't understand eternity without, without the person of Jesus. We can't understand it in our, in our own human minds. With, it, it's, it's, it's difficult to grasp that concept without understanding, you know, who Jesus is. Because sometimes these days, when you listen to certain messages and certain church leaders, it seems to be that we are the center of everything. Isn't it, you know, a lot of things, you know, and, and in the culture around us, you know, it puts us as a center that, you know, that... That, that we, you know, self-improvement and, and self-fulfillment and self-enlightenment and all these things. And so it can twist our thinking to think that we are actually the most important thing in the world. And, he, and we're not. Everything was created through and for Jesus. We're not here for us. I mean, we're just blessed to be here. But actually, we're here because we have a part to play in the kingdom of God. This kingdom that's been, that was prophesied, this kingdom that's been built and will be built and is being built. Jesus is a word of life. All life began from God because of God and through God. And that's beautiful. It's so important to remember that. And I love that's how, that's how, how John introduced it. And the idea where, when he says he's the word of life, this idea was really important at that time for, for the believers. Um, for the Jewish believers, uh, they often referred to, to God as the word because they knew, they knew that God had perfectly revealed himself through his word. So he was known as the word because the revelation of God had come through his word. And for the Greeks, their philosophers had been speaking for centuries about the logos. Is that, is that how you pronounce it? The logos or the logos, um, which was the basis, like it was the basis of organization and intelligence in the universe. It was the ultimate reasoning that controlled all things, this word. And what John was declaring is that this word that you guys have been talking about, that you've been writing about, I, I touched him, I, I walked with him, he was here, he became man, like he was an eyewitness account. And in that time, you know, in that time we didn't have, so, so John's this eyewitness account, in that time there was no CCTV, there was no media reporting, there wasn't social media, and you couldn't just take a photo and post it on WhatsApp. An eyewitness carried a lot of weight. So if you were an eyewitness to something and your word, your testimony actually carried a lot of weight because you saw, no one could record it, but you saw it. In fact, in Deuteronomy 19.15, it says that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, a matter is established. So if there's two or three witnesses to something, it's basically a done deal. It's established. If you come into agreement and there's at least two or three that say, yeah, that happened, it happened. And they believed it happened. And so let, let me read verse 2. It says, the life appeared, he, he just appeared, 
We have seen to it and testified to it. They saw it. He saw it with his own eyes. He's writing back and just trying to tell the early church who probably hadn't seen it because, you know, this, this was uh, 1 John was supposedly written. It's been dated around 90 to 95 AD, so about 100 years after Jesus was, was born. Um, and sometime, you know, it, it'd been sort of 60-odd years, 50, 60 years after his death. So, but he said, I've seen it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen, what we have heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us. Our fellowship is with the Father and his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. And so he's giving this eyewitness account. He's the last man standing. He witnessed this. He heard him. And his story hasn't changed all these years, all these years later, right at the end of his life, the story, he's verifying the truth. He's more convinced than ever. And he's wanted to, to tell the church that he's writing this letter to, wanted to really stamp these two truths. One, that Jesus is eternal, that the purpose of everything centers around him, the centrality of Jesus. And two, that Jesus is the absolute truth. So these two themes are so important in this letter. He's, he's central to everything, and he is the absolute truth. And we don't need to add anything to them. And these, if we just hold on to these two truths, they're, they're game changers, not just for the church at the time, but for us. There's nothing more we need to add to the centrality of Jesus as everything that happens around us. And he's, so he's this eyewitness. He's reaffirming. He's reaffirming the truth because the, the whole context behind this and what had been happening is there'd been some, you know, as I said, it's now 50, 60 years on, um, and the church has been birthed. And, and at this time, John, um, by all accounts, was based in Ephesus. So the, the, the gospel has been spreading through, you know, to other parts of the Mediterranean, to parts of, of, of what they called Asia at the time. It's been spreading. And there's all sorts of thinking and people, you know, interacting and, 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 and all sorts of philosophies and that. And, and there's this thinking started to creep into the church, which, which was called Gnosticism wasn't labeled that at the time of this but that's what that and, and basically what gnostic thinking they fundamentally made a clear distinction between the physical which was the body and the spiritual so they basically believed that that a, a physical experience was like was was an illusion it wasn't the real it wasn't really what was going on and our, our bodies were they, created, they believed a lot of things but they believed that our bodies were created by a lesser god and the real the real substance inside us was the spirit. They taught you couldn't touch Jesus because he didn't have a physical body. So that was this teaching, this kind of weird teaching that was creeping in that he didn't have a physical body. So Jesus, when he came, they, they basically taught he was like an avatar of God. He, wasn't, he, was, he was pure spirit and his body wasn't, wasn't really part of him. But John was declaring, he said, I saw him, I touched him, I heard him. He was real. And the result of their thinking was that they believed that, well, whatever you did in the body, whatever you did physically, didn't really count. So, you know, if you wanted to be moral, if you wanted to have the pleasures of the body, that's just that. That's my body. That's not really my spirit. So my spirit could still be okay, even though I'm doing all these things. It's like living a dual life. And so for the Gnostics, you know, for, for that type of believing, you know, you could be spirit-filled inside this church service and, and your spirit's being pleasant and then go for the rest of the week and do whatever you want. And that's the problem because when wrong believing starts to creep in, it leads to wrongdoing. 
But John declared that Jesus was flesh and blood. He came and said, oh, he was here. We witnessed it. He was flesh and blood. This, this divine God became man. So he was fully human and fully divine. And that's so important. Because if Jesus was just a man, it changes everything. If Jesus was, was only a man, then, then he really was only a martyr. Then his sacrifice of the cross couldn't have meant anything. But if he was only God and his earthly body was just his avatar, then he kind of makes that significance on the cross lesser because he wouldn't have really felt any pain. He really didn't, didn't go through it, you know, in an earthly experience. But the Bible's clear. It says he was fully human and fully divine. He was both. And wrong teaching, wrong, these things are creeping. Whilst they may sound good, it, it distorts the purity of, of, of the gospel. And over time, it, lead, it can lead to, to Christianity. It can lead to things that, that are a little bit twisted. And it's so important that we guard against that. It's so important that we continually have the Word as our guide. It's so important that we have that. And we've, we've been you know, blessed with some, such great preaching, such great teaching over the last year, two years. So important, getting back to the basics, getting back to understanding the Word of God. That's all we need. We don't need to be adding these things. We don't need, you know, God does want to bless us. There is, you know, as, as, as Yvonne was saying, you know, if we give, we'll be given back. But that's not why we do it. We are the church. Beautiful. That self-development, that, that prosperity teaching that creeps in, it's, it's still happening today. And it's so important when we read this that we, we sort of put into context and keep in mind always the centrality of Jesus to everything we do. Because at the time, you know, it, they, Gnosticism was defined later on, but at the time they didn't call themselves that. They just called themselves as, as you know, other believers who were introducing these concepts and these mindsets. And so they, you know, it, it's, it's, it's a lot harder to detect that. It's a lot harder to define that when it's just, when it's just there. It's, it's not actually being defined as, oh, I'm a Gnostic, I believe in this. It's so important that we stay together, that we understand, that we have fellowship, that we, we are in one accord with what we believe in. So this man who was this eyewitness and now an elder, looking back, John, when he's writing this, just reminds us, the antidote, the antidote to this living for self, the antidote to all of this is the word of life, which is Jesus and he wants to bring us into relationship. He wants to bring us into a deeper understanding of who Jesus was. So let's read on. 1 John 1, 5 to 7. And it says this. This is a message we heard from him and declare to you, God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. I love that. God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him, so if we claim to be walking with God, and having fellowship with him, and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. So that's interesting. We have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. It's a beautiful scripture. There's so much there. It says his desire is that we all have fellowship. John was writing this desiring that we all have fellowship, you know, sharing life together, walking together. But the important thing there is, is true fellowship is conditional. So what he's teaching us here is that true fellowship is actually conditional. He states that if we walk in the light, 
as he is in the light, then we will have fellowship. So it's conditional on us walking in the light. It's conditional on us walking in the light together. So let's explore this. I think this is worth exploring because one of the one of the things that that type of thinking does and, 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 and has happened in, in the church in recent years is that, that self-fulfilling, that self-development Christianity actually breaks fellowship. Because when we put the focus on us, it actually impacts fellowship that we have together and it distorts that fellowship. And so it's really important that we, that we, we listen to, to the, the, what the text is telling us here. So walking first, it implies an action. There's continuity. There's progress. So God, you know, God is active. He's moving. If we have fellowship with him, we're also active. We're walking. We're not stuck. It's so important that this walking in the light is, is we're walking. We may not have everything. We may not have our lives perfect. We may not have, have reached a destination, but we're walking. We're pursuing. We're seeking. We're knocking. You know, we're on a journey together. You know, it says, you know, seek me and you'll find me. Knock and it shall be open. You know, search for me. Continue with me, this walking. You know, Jesus modeled this himself with his disciples. They, they walked from town to town. They walked thousands of miles. They walked, they journeyed. He didn't ask them to come to him complete. When he called them out, he didn't say, you know, do you have a degree in theology, John? Do you, you know, oh, th- then you can come along. He just said, hey, drop what you're doing. Come and walk with me. We'll sort it out on the way. We'll work it out as we go. And for three years, I walked you know, countless hours together, walking and, and teaching and learning, watching him do miracles. And so important. We don't have to have everything together to walk with him. We don't even have to have... I know this may sound controversial, but I don't have it all together. Yvonne doesn't have it all together. Nuno doesn't have it all together. No one here has it all together. We're on a journey. We need to be compassionate, understanding with each other. We need to walk together, but walking together in the light. Not all doing our own thing, seeking ourselves, but humbly in the light. And that's what he, he modeled. Jesus modeled this. He was always heading to a final purpose, though. It wasn't just aimless walking either. It wasn't just come and journey with me. There was a purpose. He came, yes, to equip them and to help them, to, but he came to give his life for our sin, to be the atonement, to be the Lamb of God for our sin. So he had a purpose, as do we in this church, and as a body of Christ, we have a purpose to build the kingdom of God on this earth. Amen? That's our purpose. That's our journey. We're all a work in progress. We have been transformed, but we are still being transformed. We have been transformed, but yet we are still being transformed. We're a work in progress, as I like to put it. So this raises an important idea that, that I want to I want to talk about is you know if if we if we don't have fellowship with another if there's something wrong according to to reading this then one of us isn't you know someone's we're not walking in the light so if we're both walking in the light well, we can have fellowship but if someone's not walking in the light it's very difficult to have fellowship two christians who are in right relationship with god together will naturally will naturally be, according to John, in right relationship with each other. They're the important of us walking in the light is, is leads to us being in right relationship with each other. And this idea of fellowship, it's one of the most important ideas in, in, the, in John's letter. In fact, in the, in, in the Greek text, the word was koinonia, koinonia, which speaks of sharing. It speaks of a communion, a common bond, a common life. It speaks of living, breathing, sharing, 
loving your relationship with each other, with another person. And there's a quote that, that I've been reading from Dr. George Campbell Morgan. He was a respected uh, Bible scholar and evangelist from the early parts of the last century. And he put out a beautiful study on 1 John. And I just want to read this quote from him referring to, to that scripture. It says, he said, This is one of the greatest statements of the New Testament. And it may safely be said that its greatness is created by the richness of the word used for fellowship in the original text, which is a koinonia, that word. The Greek word koinonia is derived from the word koinos, which very literally means common in the sense of being shared by all. So common in the sense of being shared by all. The use of the word in Acts 2.44 is very helpful. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common. The word common is the ancient word koinonia. And so Morgan wrote that those who have a fellowship with another, they're those who also have this common life, this sharing of resources. They're bound by the same responsibilities. They walk together, like Yvonne was talking about in his giving message. So if we're believers together and we walk in the light, then we have all things in common. All things we share. And how different that is to this self-centered Christianity that was creeping in then and that can creep in now. He was saying, he was challenging that to walk in fellowship, to have things in common, to walk together in one accord. That's what he was calling. That's what he was, he was kind of t- t- telling to the church. He goes, I've seen all of this. I've seen it unfold. I'm the last one here now and I'm telling you how important fellowship is. The importance of us as a body as a congregation, as a greater body in Christ as well, to be in one accord, to walk together in the light. Wherever there's self-centered Christianity or wherever there's Christianity that focuses just on us, typically there won't be great fellowship in that community. And how much more we need to have great fellowship, you know, with, us, with each other. So let's read on these last few verses. 1 John 1, 8 to 10. It says, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. However, if we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and the word is not in us. It's beautiful. So what John is telling us here is that Walking in this light, having fellowship and walking in this light together doesn't mean that we live a sinless life or that we are perfect or that we don't need to be cleansed. And to think of ourselves this way is to deceive ourselves. That's what he's saying. And the truth is not in us. But there is good news. The blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. And as we walk in the light, as he's saying here, we also have continual cleansing of sin. And we need continual cleansing because in Romans 3.23 it tells us that we've all fallen short of the glory of God. And Jesus taught this also in John 13 when he washed the disciples' feet. Even though they had already been cleansed, even though we are cleansed, even though we are believers, we still need cleansing. And he washed their feet as a symbol of saying, well, you know, dirt gets on you, stuff gets on you. As we walk out there, you know, hurts happen. You know, offense does happen. Temptation, sometimes we fall. 
you, you know, we, we're not, he's not saying here that we have to be perfect to walk in this light. So we're walking in this light with Jesus, and yet we may sin, but he's saying it's okay. As long as you come and confess that sin, if you come and confess, you'll be made right. You don't need to step outside of that light. So many people get condemned and think, oh, you know, because I stuffed up and did that, I can no longer be part of this fellowship or can no longer walk side by side with him. And it's not that. That's deception. You know, we need to understand that if we sin, we can continue to walk in the light. If we confess our sin and be made right, we need to be continually clean just to enjoy that continual relationship. He taught that. Because we can't have fellowship with God whilst that sin remains unconfessed and undealt with. However, if we confess our sins, it says we can have complete cleansing. And to confess the way that John was teaching is to say the same as. So when we confess our sin, we're willing to say the same thing about our sin that God says. In Luke eighteen ten to 4 Jesus, there was a story that he shared about a religious man and a sinner who prayed before God. The Pharisee, who was this religious man, bragged about how righteous he was, all the things that he did, and he brags in this scripture about how righteous he was. But the sinner just said, God, I'm a sinner, be merciful to me. And it was him, the one who confessed his sin, the one who agreed with God about how bad he was, that Jesus, Jesus said, you know, he is made right with me, and I'll forgive his sin. Because those who exalt themselves... Those who say, look at my works, look at what I've done, look at my position with God, they'll be the ones that are humbled. But those who are humble that acknowledge their sin, they'll be the ones exalted. It's beautiful. So we need to continue continue to confess. You know, if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we'll have fellowship. But we don't want to drop out of that fellowship. If we have sin that's undealt with, personally and also corporately as a church then we stop walking in that light and our fellowship begins to be interrupted so the Gnostics had allowed this this wrong believing and sin to creep into their lives and it was now damaging their relationship with each other and starting to damage that early church but even those who have left the fellowship even those who are no longer walking with confession they can be made right with him. This concept of fellowship, this concept of having a shared life, this fellowship with Jesus is what he was exalting us to do. And John experienced this firsthand. He became known as the beloved. He was known as the beloved of God. He walked with him. He had a shared life with him. All of them did. It's beautiful. And so we don't just add Jesus in, you know, we don't just add Jesus to our life. Our relationship with him is not one where we just walk and he becomes just an addition. We enter into him, we enter into relationship with him by having a shared life. We share our life with him and he shares our life with us. It's not an add-on. Walking with Jesus is not just an addition to say, hey, Jesus, I'm going to have you here, you know, to make my life better. And I can come to you occasionally and get my sins forgiven and everything's going to be great and then go off and do our own thing and just come back to Jesus as an add-on whenever we need him. That's not what he, he wants. He wants fellowship. He wants ongoing walking in the light. 
It's beautiful. There's a lot here, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to summarize because I feel like we just need some time to... Actually, if I can get the worship team to come up, that would be great. Walking in the light as he is in the light. Having fellowship with one another. Confessing our sins. It's beautiful. This is what 1 John tells us about. This eternal God, this, this eternal son that, that was born into this world, who is the center of all things. This word of life. And he tells us here that fellowship with God and fellowship with each other are just as important. And in fact, we're often introduced into fellowship with God through other people. Very often we're searching, very often for a lot of us, searching for God. And it's difficult to find on your own. But in fellowship with others, we see a reflection of him in others and it brings us towards him. It's so important that people see that in us. And when they enter in here, they can see that we live that. And that's gonna, that not only is appealing, but there's a truth in there that they can come and walk with us. And showing people out there that none of us are perfect. None of us have it all together. And yes, we may stumble and fall and we may sin. But walking in the light, if we do that, we can come to him and confess and continually walk with him. Let's maintain that fellowship. And if we stumble and fall, confess and come to him. Continue to walk in the light together. It's so important. Remembering that he is the center of everything, this word of life. It's beautiful. If I can just get you to close your eyes. Continue to stand just like John stood. And even though, you know, we may not have witnessed like he did, he was an eyewitness and he told us this, this is a truth. Even though we weren't actually there, through this word, this living word of God, we verify the character of Jesus. We verify who he is, who he was that everything is made through him and because of him. And we can have that same relationship, that same fellowship that the disciples had with him, that the early church in, in its purity had, that they were together in one accord. They met in homes. Some of them sold everything to meet the needs of others. And they stood together and walked together in that light. Let's be that church. Let's be that congregation. Because I can tell you that's what's going to change the world around us. That's what's going to change the community around us. When we give up our own agendas, when we humble ourselves, when we make Jesus the center of everything, when we give, when we're generous, when we forgive, when we confess, when we don't get stuck in sin or stuck in thinking that's wrong, that's when we have true fellowship.
That's what's going to change those that walk in here. That's what's going to change the community around us. That's what's going to impact this world. Let me just reread that. Verses 5 to 7. This is a message we heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live the truth. But if we walk in light, as he is light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord. Just as we spend some time just reflecting on that scripture and this message. I just feel like I want to pray for some people that we might have once been close to, we've had fellowship with. There's people in our worlds that might have hurt us or maybe we hurt them and once we were so close, we are walking in the light, we are walking in one accord and now they're distant. I feel like the journey we've been on was not for, for nothing. Restoration will come. There's people, I just want you to put them in your mind and pray for them. There's people that want to come back to this church. I truly believe they're just waiting for just waiting for an invitation to reconcile they're just waiting for even a message just something anything there's people that are desperate out there that have lost their faith they once walked in the light but then sin come in or wrong believing came in and they got knocked out of the race let's not be the ones who are standing on our own Let's walk on them back. And there's people in our families that are lost and we love them and we spend time with them, but we just wish they would walk in the light with us. And like we do in our family, maybe we've been praying for them for so many years. Maybe it's so long. But I just wonder if the reason they don't come is they look at us and they look at our church and they maybe don't see that fellowship. They don't see, they think, why, why would I want to go there? Let's be different. Thank you, God, for the work you're doing. Lord, I just pray for these people that are in our world where fellowship has been harmed or is non-existent. God, I just pray, Lord, you are a God of restoration. Your word says that if we confess our sin, you will make us right. You will cleanse us. And maybe that sin is offense. Maybe it's a hurt that's become bitterness. God, I just pray for restoration right now, God. And just like your disciple, John, who wrote this this book inspired by your Holy Spirit, that we would stand, that we would stand, we would look back in our lives one day and thought, 
thank God that I stood. I walked in the light. I had fellowships. Thank the Lord that I stood, that I didn't get knocked out, that I believed, that I kept teaching the truth. I just pray for these people. Bring them back, Lord. Bring them in. Where we can't, you can, Lord God. Help us to be humble, to forgive, to reconcile. Thank you that your gospel is a gospel of reconciliation, not just with you, but with each other. We walk together in your light, but we also have fellowship with each other. It's a dual thing, Lord God. Bring us closer together as a community. Help us, Lord, to love each other as you loved us first. Thank you, God.